0: Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our scripture passage this morning, um, before uh, Jarrell comes up to preach, comes from Romans chapter 7, verses 9 through 25. Listen for what God is saying to you. I used to be alive without the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. So the commandment that was intended to give life brought death. Sin seized the opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and killed me. So the law itself is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. So did something good bring death to me? Absolutely not. But sin caused my death through something good, so that sin would be as exposed as sin that way sin would become even more thoroughly sinful through the commandment. We know that the law is spiritual, but I'm made of flesh and blood and I'm sold as a slave to sin. I don't know what I'm doing because I don't do what I want to do. Instead, I do the thing that I hate. But if I'm doing the thing that I don't want to do, I'm agreeing that the law is right. But now I'm not the, now I'm not the one doing it anymore. Instead, it's the sin that lives in me. I know that good doesn't I know that good doesn't live in me, that is, in my body. The desire to do good is inside of me, but I I can't do it. I don't do the good that I want to do, but I do the evil that I don't want to do, if you follow. But I do the very thing that I don't want to do. Then I'm I'm not the one doing it anymore. Instead, it is sin that lives in me that is doing it. So I find that as a rule, when I want to do what is good, evil is right there with me. I gladly agree with the law on the inside, but I see a different law at work in my body. It wages a war against the law of my mind and takes me prisoner with the law of sin that is in my body. I'm a miserable human being. Who will deliver me from this dead corpse? Thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I'm a slave to God's law in my mind, but I'm a slave to sin's law in my body. May God add a blessing to the understanding and living out of this scripture, and as he comes up i 'm just going to do a quick introduction. Some of you have have met or encountered Jarrell Wilson um, in different spaces at urban village or maybe uh, social social media spaces um, but uh, Jarrell is our, our our freshly minted uh, former uh, uh, church planting resident um, who spent most of his time at, um, at our Andersonville location, but has recently relocated um, here to Woodlawn and is beginning Ph.D. studies um, here at Chicago Theological Seminary. So we're grateful to um, not only have him share a word this morning with us, but hopefully see him around more in the future. Let's welcome Jarrell. So as Emily said,
1: my name is Jarrell. I am starting a Ph.D. program this fall. It will be examining theological messages found in pop culture. So guess what y'all are going to get to hear today? Um, This text, (laughs) I want to start first by talking about how much I love the Bible. I love the Bible. And I have to remind myself that I love the Bible when we read passages like this, because sometimes we read a passage and we think, why do we read this book? So I love the Bible. After looking at this, we can kind of see what Paul is getting at. I am a person that is trying to do my best and is hard as I try, as much effort as I put into being the best human being I can possibly be, I keep falling short. Paul points to sin and personifies it and says it's the sin that lives in me that is doing these wrong things. The devil made me do it, as I used to say as a child. It's not me, so-and-so. Put this in front of me, and I had no choice but to act on it. It's not my fault that the cookies were consumed. Someone shouldn't have made them so tasty. For me, this excuse doesn't really seem to work. And Paul continues to go on and to impact later on in the book and then we get back on one accord. But at this time, I have to say, I love the Bible. Because I feel like Paul sets up some really harmful ideas in here. He places sin in the body, which immediately makes me think of the ways that bodies have been labeled as sinful over time. Those people deserve what they're getting. Look at the way they look. Look at the way they talk. That person probably sinned and that's why they were born blind that person probably did such and such if they weren't gay they wouldn't get hiv if she would have dressed this way she wouldn't have been sexually harassed if he would have just done this pulled up his pants or not worn a hoodie or said yes sir or caught or conformed into our standards and ways of being then the sinful act or whatever harmful thing took place wouldn't have happened We can see it right here in the text. But what we also see is an inkling of something good, y'all. I love the Bible. What we see is Paul is cracking open the door for God to do something. (laughs) I think that it's interesting that sin gets described, not defined. How many of us grew up in traditions that defined sin as a sickness? I was one of them. Churches are hospitals. People that are sick come in. We have the cure. The cure is Jesus. We administer the cure. Uh, You get six CCs of Jesus Christ. That'll get you through Monday through Saturday. We'll see you next week. (laughs) How many of y'all got the sin is a broken law sort of uh, way? And this is a participatory. So I don't know how y'all grew up, but in my house, if an adult spoke and you didn't respond to them, you might um, get an Old Testament God action. Uh, So I believe it or not, am an adult when I speak and ask a question, I expect an answer, y'all. I know it's in the morning. I know it's summertime. I know it was Taste of Chicago. Some of y'all might still be full, but we're going to respond, okay? How many of you grew up in those churches that it was law? Sin is broken law. God is the judge, and we have been found wanting. Anybody got that? There's another one that I can't put my tongue on, and I was like trying to think this one through. There's the the sickness, there's the law, um, the target practice. So sin is like you're trying to shoot a target, and you just keep slightly missing. You're aiming it, and you're firing off this arrow, and and you don't end up at Target. You end up at Walmart. It has what you're looking for. but the service isn't as good. Y'all got that one? You're missing the mark? I prefer that rather than, what? I heard amen in the back, hallelujah, that's all we need. Rather than describing sin, can we just define it? Let's just call it what it is. Sin is anything that separates you from your neighbor and that causes you to feel separated from God. Not that separates you from God, because nothing can separate you from the love favor, grace, and mercy of God. Amen? But we can feel as if we've been separated from God. We can feel as if we're not holy enough, or clean enough, or straight enough, or able-bodied enough, or in some cases, white enough. But we'll get onto that in a different sermon series. We know that we are never truly separated from God, because God's love is always pursuing us. Paul, in this strange passage of Romans that we love, is giving us one of the earliest written confessions in the Christian tradition. And Christians have been confessing ever since. But what is confession? Why is it important? How does it benefit our walks with God? I'm so glad y'all asked. First, we're going to start with a story. Um, How many of y'all grew up in churches where confession was the norm? You had to go into the box, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Cross yourself. Okay. We are going to slightly talk about that, but we're going to talk about it in a different way. Here we go. First, a story. Are y'all ready? I told you what the topic of my dissertation is going to be, right? Okay, here we go. On the night of May 5th, in 2014, millionaires from across the globe gathered together for what has become somewhat of a pilgrimage in New York City. They don on their gay apparel. They give a tiny sum of their vast sums of wealth to a teeny tiny organization colloquially referred to as The Met. May 5th, 2014 was the night of the Met Gala. This is the one night that would give birth to three instant classic albums. First, to the great album called Lemonade, released in February of 2016. Then, it gave birth to an album called A Seat at the Table, released in September of 2016. And lastly, it gave birth to an album called 444. Four, Four released in June of 2017 on the last day of Pride in which the artist's mother came out. But we're gonna talk about that in a different sermon series. This is the night that Solange attacked Jay-Z in an elevator while Beyonce stood by, then got off the elevator and B and Solo rode off together while Jay-Z got none and rode home alone. For most couples, this very private affair would go unnoticed by the world. But a security worker at the hotel that housed the guest of the Met Gala recognized this famous black couple in the elevator and saw his opportunity to expose them and to profit off of their pain. And then the angry black woman trope was released once again into the general psyche of the American people. This is a story about confession. It is truly providential that 444 was released just as we were getting ready to start our sermon series on confession and just before I was invited to preach to y'all today. (laughs) On its face. uh, Wait, okay, I'll need to rewind. How many of y'all listen to Jay-Z? Oh, thank God! I took a guess. I was like I'm an h b dove. These people are down. Hopefully they'll be riding with me for this sermon. Uh, um, oh, are we on? Can I move this? Oh thank God. So I got excited. I'm like, thank God, Jay Z has done this for the culture, and I get to talk about it in the house of the Lord with the people of God. Can we say Amen? This album, we all know. Have y'all listened to it yet? Y'all ain't got title subscriptions? Okay, she's in Germany. She got an excuse, titling over there. Y'all, the album also talks about the need to support black businesses. So in the album... Jay-Z starts out with, like, kill Jay-Z. It's this talk about, like, how he needs to kill his alter ego that's all hard, and, like, I don't care about women, and I'm just gonna here to make money. And then he moves on to, like, the story of OJ, and he talks about, like, oh, there are some people once they get money, they start being too good to be black, and they start leaving the black community behind. Then he moves into another track, and then into another track, and then he goes into 444, which he talks about, yes, I was a mess. Here's what I did wrong. I did this wrong. I started the fight with Solange. I cheated on Beyonce. I was mean to this. I've been womanizing, etc., etc. It's a very good album. Y'all need to listen. Get your pennies together. Get on Tidal. Get your Apple Music. Whatever. Y'all need to listen. Now, back to the sermon. As this confession, there's deeper spiritual messages than just what's said out loud. Sometimes people will say one thing and there's a hidden meaning, Rappers do it all the time. Jay-Z is famous for it. He's really good at it. But Christians, we came up with it, y'all. Paul is mumble rapping right here. (laughs) This is his little oozy vert going on. However, there's some chance the rapper hidden here, y'all. He knows what he's talking about. He's exhibiting the struggle of trying to be the person that he knows that God wants him to be and how he is coming up short in the same way that Jay-Z knows that he has made vows before God and man and God and humanity and has said that I am going to be faithful, I'm going to be loving, I'm going to be true, I'm going to be kind peaceful, patient, loving, all of these things with my wife, and I have failed to live into this vow. And when you step into a space publicly and admit wrongdoing, you invite the power of the Holy Spirit to come and change things. This is something that Christians fundamentally believe to be true. Now, society will see this. Confession is an opportunity to make money. We can write some gossip articles. We can make some gifts. This will be a nice, cute little meme. But I think that this is an opportunity for the church to reinvestigate the great gift of confession. You see, there's something really powerful about witnessing someone publicly repent and demonstrate that they have been changed. The reason why we have testimony isn't so that we can like find out people's cute nicknames for when they were in elementary school or find out when they went to college. You can do that at a bar. You can like go on their Facebook and creep. I do that professionally. We believe that testimonies have power because we believe in the power of story. We literally call Jesus the Word. We believe that powerful words have the ability to reach into our hearts and to change the substance of who we are so that we might reflect Jesus Christ just a little bit more. Testimony isn't just like sharing our at the, coo- uh, the, the cooler in the office. Testimony is about saying, I am a person that is struggling to live out my faith, and here's what God has done for me. And it's an invitation for the community to participate in the testifier story. God didn't just do it for me. God set me free so I could tell you you've been free too. God didn't just point out my sin so that I could see my sin. There might be some sin you need to be looking at, too, and that's a gift from God. My testimony isn't just about, look at how great God has been to me, but look at what God can do for you, too, because we believe that this is a communal thing. So when I see my brother admitting wrongdoing in public, Homie didn't have to do that. The seat at the table already did that. His <laughs> wig had already been snatched off in lemonade in 2016 in February, remember. But he voluntarily chose to confess, which leads me to believe that he knows there's something powerful in revealing wrongdoing. Rather than getting into the details of this particular confession, we can use it as an opportunity to reflect on the gift of confession in our tradition. Now we've fought over how confession is supposed to be played out. In some traditions, confession plays out um, in strange boxes made of wood. And you get into this box made of wood, a person who acts on God's behalf sits on the other side, and you tell this person your sin. And at the end of it, they tell you that your sins have been forgiven. You do something. End of story. Other communities take confession in a more communal direction. Communities like the ELCA, like the PCUSA, the United Methodist Church, the Episcopal Church, um, we believe, they believe, that confession is something that everyone needs to do together. So we say, God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole hearts, we have abandoned your ways. We have neglected the poor. We have not met the needs of the needy, etc., etc. We confess it all together. Typically, it's read off of a screen or out of a book. And then somebody will stand up, typically a priest or pastor, a minister in some way, shape, or form, and will say, hear this good news. While we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. This proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are a forgiven people. Glory to God. Amen. And some people go even smaller, a communal confession. You need an accountability partner. How many of y'all had accountability partners? Yes, evangelicals, raise, raise. (laughs) And so you go out and you go to your coffee house or your Starbucks or whatever it is, or you go meet your accountability partner, and you say, I've been really struggling with this, blah, 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 blah. And your accountability partner will say, well, what are you doing to right this wrong? How are you presenting this to God in your prayer life. What is the scripture telling you? Et cetera, et cetera. You see, there's different ways that confession plays out, but all Christians do it in some way, shape, or form because we know that there's something powerful about it. We know that in in admitting wrongdoing, we can be set free to do what's right. I think that some people fear this word. And we fear it because we've seen it done wrong. How many of y'all have seen confession done wrong? Or have seen someone admit wrongdoing and then had that turned against them or weaponized? It's seen shame used as a way to beat people up and force them to do things that the Bible didn't necessarily say they should be doing. Confession wasn't meant to be a tool of shame, but rather as a means of growing in discipleship. Because in confessing one's shortcoming to the community, one gains a team of people willing to walk alongside of you and make sure that you stay in the right. For example, in 444, I want to say that Jay-Z models this gift that has been passed down through the millennia so that we could inherit it today by publicly admitting that he womanizes, Jay-Z has invited people to hold him accountable for it. He has invited the people on Twitter who are always saying, why do you use this word in your songs? He has invited the people that protest and march. He has invited the scholars that sit in buildings like this one. Oh, this is a school. And he has invited them to critique him and to challenge him and to make him grow in this area. By publicly admitting that he is struggling to keep his wedding vows, Jay-Z has asked the Christian community to live up to the vows that it made to him at his wedding. How many of y'all have been to a wedding recently? Okay, you know what my favorite part of weddings are. It's also my favorite part of baptism. We go through the service, and then the person who is presiding turns to the people that have witnessed it and asks this question in weddings. Will all of you, by God's grace, do everything in your power to uphold and to care for these two persons in their marriage? And then you say, I will. Or we do. We get married, too, when other people get married. The well-being of their relationship is our responsibility. Now... I have seen some people take this responsibility a little too seriously. (laughs) It is not our job to follow people behind and say, oh, we use a different brand of diaper for our children. It is not our job to follow people and say, oh, our marriage looks this way. Why aren't y'all doing the same? Our date night is at this time. You should follow our schedule. But rather, it is our job to follow and say, how have y'all been taking care of your, your relationship? Do you need me to watch your kids so that y'all can go out on a date night? What is going on that you guys are suffering through that we can help? Are y'all struggling financially? Like, this is our job. We say it in weddings. This is what Christians agree to do. When we say that we are part of the family of God, we take on the responsibility of looking after our siblings. Are you your brother's keeper? Yes. You voluntarily chose to. It's right here in black and white. Praise the Lord, in black. And (laughs) by publicly confessing, that his parenting is struggling because of the decisions he's made. He's invited the Christian community to remember that the vows it made when Blue Ivy was baptized are vows that they need to live into right now. Will you nurture this child in Christ's holy church? We answer, we will with God's help. Confession reminds us of who we are People that screw up, but that try to work together so that we screw up a little bit less and reflect God's love a little bit more. And confession is a statement of faith. It isn't just saying I was wrong, but it also requires a follow up. Here is how I am going to be better. Here are the people that will help me be better. Now, this particular album lays out what Jay-Z thinks he's going to do to get a little bit better. And as we embark on this new sermon series, I invite you to think about what is it that I need to confess? Who is it that I have harmed or wronged in my life that I need to make amends with? Who can I trust to hold me accountable Not to shame me, but to make me more like Jesus. And how can I lean on my church family in a way that makes me a better reflection of God's love? This is God's word for us today. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks for this gift of confession. We give you thanks for the ways in which your spirit does not leave us to our own devices, but constantly searches after us and pursues us and leaves hints of your love and your grace and your mercy for us to receive every day. Sometimes that is in the beauty of a child's smile or in a fresh breeze on a hot summer day. And sometimes it's in groundbreaking albums that drop on Friday that only people that registered for Title two days in advance can access, and we give you thanks. Lord, give us the strength and the grace necessary to help us admit when we have wronged others, when we have put up walls to stop us from receiving your love. Help us to humble ourselves in your sight that you can lift us up. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.